There's dirty bones here, Simon. Come on now and fight! You need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Yeah, looking in the mirror. Be a dog. Whatever happens in Leash, it's always a scandal. Why do you think that was? Probably because we're always drinking and stuff. There's no smoke without fire. That goes to light. I met Tomas O'Shea one day and he said, I'm sick of that northern crowd. He said, if they went set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a week. I can remember a lad, Jay Booth, right? And he was getting sick, right lying like that, <laughs> looking at me like, and I'm going, this is not helping me. Every man, woman and monkey in me all is, is nearly writing them off. Shaking the bucket! That's it! All right, so for discussion today, with the first recorded instance of Fergie time being 20 years ago this week, we're asking, how exactly do you convince an entire team to keep playing until the end? Tony Brown looks like uh, he's primed for a return to the Waterford squad. He's going to be 40 this summer and very much against the grain. He seems to be willing to be a sub on the team. Joining us this afternoon, uh, Dermot Ling, Wexford Hurler. We will have Val Andrews with us in uh, just a little while, but uh, also here is Enda McNulty, an All-Ireland winner with our man, of course, the founder of Motivate. Um, We'll talk about Fergie time in a moment, but uh, you've had a pretty interesting last couple of months since uh, we had you last in the studio and working with the Irish rugby team. It's been a great few months, I must say. I got a lot of slagging at home and a lot of slagging amongst the rugby fraternity in terms of Enda, what did you do from a mental point of view to the team? Obviously, they weren't very successful. But to be honest, it was a hugely positive experience, a massive learning experience, and overall hugely enthused and impressed with the level of professionalism, with the resources that are there, and with the huge building blocks that are in place uh, for the next few years. Yeah, you've obviously done loads of work with the rugby players before, and they've all gone on the record and, and talked about the influence that you've had, and we've spoken to you about that before. But it seems to me, anyway on the outside that that would have been a more kind of one-on-one and less full-time this was full-time for the duration of the the tournament it was full-time for the duration of the tournament uh Basically, you're talking about being in camp full-time with the rest of the players and the rest of the backroom squad who are very strong, I must say. Uh, and it was helping the players in a one-on-one. Even though it was their full-time, it was helping the players spending time with the coaches in one-on-one scenarios rather than loads of group workshops. Yeah, and what's that like, the difference from actually kind of being there at breakfast? And is it just a completely different relationship than you have with people? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what it does. It gives you a much greater understanding of what's going on. If, if you can see what's happening at half-time and I was lucky enough to be allowed, you know, full and complete access to everything so if you see what's happened before the match what's happened at half time what's happened in the warm up what's happened in the cool down what's happened in the media uh, what's happened obviously in the gym what's happened on the training pitch what's happened on the training pitch when everybody leaves you have a much greater perspective on how players can improve or how the whole infrastructure can improve I'll give you an example so let's say if a player is doing a wee bit of kicking practice at the end of a session and he's a little bit down or he wants a little bit of advice you're, you're there for him at that stage rather than having to meet him for a call late in the evening yeah. so it's much more conducive to helping the athletes or helping the players because you have 720 degree access yeah and it kind of feels like as well that it doesn't have to be this formal I have a big problem I need to go and talk to End about it we have to sit down and, and go through everything for 20-25 minutes it can be a quick here what do you think of this Like, and, and that's a much easier way I would imagine anyway that somebody can have an impact on your life much more informal so a lot of the times the boys would say over dinner listen can I have a quick chat with you about X, Y or Z or you know even you're doing a bit of skills at the end of a session with one of the boys and you're even kicking a ball Gaelic style to them you know it gives you a chance to build engagement with them to build rapport with them and yes of course to solve problems most of those problems are only small things uh, for example how to maintain concentration for example how to make sure they're more confident in the first few minutes of the game it's always small things like that but those small things have a direct impact on the overall performance yeah is it something now that you kind of 
decided you want to do this full time for the rest of your life thinking working back in, in professional sports or are you kind of happy mixing the, the corporate world with sport as well it's definitely mixing because we learn an awful lot in the corporate world what sport needs to learn and vice versa so the model we're going to use for the rest of my life and certainly for the rest of our organisation's uh, life is our life cycle is collaborating and learning from elite sport and elite business so what can we learn from the guys in NASA and apply to sport what can we apply from Formula 1 racing and apply to business and vice versa so it's learning from all those performance domains and having a cross fertilisation of ideas and bringing the best ideas into the best teams Did it help that you had the endorsement of Brian O'Driscoll heading into working with everybody in the camp full time that you have that kind of sense that it's not like you're a stranger to the group I suppose I've worked with an awful lot of the Leinster players, obviously the whole Leinster team over the last five years, so that was a major help. And it probably was a help there for you that they weren't bringing somebody in who didn't have any experience in pro rugby. So of course that was a massive help. The fact that Brian has spoke publicly about me, I think that's a huge endorsement, uh, sorry, a huge endorsement. I'd be very thankful uh, for his honesty in that regard. Yeah, okay. 53106 is the uh, text number of Val. Very good evening to you. Good afternoon, even. Good afternoon, Just uh, saying the last time that um, we had you in, we were looking forward to an All-Ireland Club final. Um, it didn't end up the way you wanted it to? No, Chair, but we had a marvellous year. Um, a marvellous year, book ended by two very sad events, and we just actually really, yesterday we buried our chairman, you know, so I suppose everything goes into context then, you know, um, so, you know, Tom unfortunately passed away suddenly, but in fairness to sport, like, I mean, he was sick for a while, and I think the football actually kept him going for a good few months, and he was a, a wonderful, clever, compassionate, caring, intelligent human being. He was a bit like, uh, to describe him to the listeners, I suppose, he was Bally Kickham's Con Hillen, you know? You know what I mean? His dress sense wouldn't have been the greatest, and he had absolute total disregard for material things, which was great. He lived in a sort of spiritual level, and like he was a great human being, and the turnout for his funeral was testament to the type of man he was, but it's also testament to why we play sport, maybe, and the sense of community, and the sense of coming together, and the sense of communal grief that was felt. And it's great comfort to the family who are sending me condolences to. But, like, it was a great year, Jer. You know, but despite all that, like, I mean, and a great journey, and we were beaten by very worthy opponents who, you know, were probably the first even to offer condolences. So, I mean, sport transcends all these things. So, today, I wouldn't be as down about being beaten by a point by St. Bridget's because there are other things in life and it has to fit into that. But, yeah, eh... The lads, very proud of them, um, and they're a young team. And like I mean, now it's time to keep going again, like you know, and, yeah. and to rebuild and to mentally, you know, I mean, we should be getting ending and to say, like I mean, we're at the the foothills of maybe another great journey. But they have to realise too, they only have this gift from God for you know, 10, 15 years they're going to play football for, you know, and when you stop, you stop, and they miss it terribly, like, but they give, they give their best, we were very, very proud of them, exceptionally proud because they conducted themselves well, they played the game in the right spirit, we gave her a lash, and we were beaten by good opponents, and we can't take that away from her either, like. Yeah, and it's not like you were beaten by fly-by-night opponents who've just arrived today, it was uh, a long, incredibly long journey for them as well, I, I don't know if that actually helps in any way, that's, you know, you can see, here is a worthy opponent who, has <laughs> produced one of the greatest comebacks in club final ever, history. Ever, ever, like, I mean, would, how many other teams would have had, maybe Cross McGlenn, any other team would have sort of packed their bags and, and left Crow Park after the first eight minutes, like, but, you know, that's sort of... 
I suppose it, we doesn't, would, it doesn't help it no. doesn't help no really we, we should have closed out the game you know and look at the lads know that and you know look and that should spur them on to want to go again and they're playing Kilmacool tonight a little step in the rehabilitation process but it's difficult to come back from such an adrenaline high all the excitement all the journey and now it's Silver Park on a wet Saturday afternoon you know to get back into the realities of life but look at uh, the excitement the joy the community it brought the community so close together um, all the people who derive such pleasure and people with smiles on their faces like we didn't get the results sure yeah and the day I was doing the interview here with Carol Mannion maybe I should have just buckled them you know <laughs> we would have saved us a lot we could have won it then but uh, no Carol Mannion was fabulous Seneca Bride was fabulous and the Bill Frankie you yeah. know man. but we had great from James McCarthy <laughs> Philly McMahon we had Jason Whelan we had Ted Foreman who did an exceptional year we had all great players like and it was a great I mean the neutral which was no consolation all the fellas you met geez that was a great game of football well, that was a great advertisement for the game but when you lose by your point you don't look at it like that sure. yeah fair enough 53106 is the number here Sean O'Wexford has been in touch to say good wishes to Dermot Ling uh, the secret as to why Man United playing until the final whistle is simple Alex Ferguson had a word with Sean Boylan and picked his brains the rest is history I might get on to that in just a moment but um, Val brought up a, an interesting point about how the lifespan of players is very limited and everybody needs to kind of realise that um, I, I wondered when you're in the midst of it do you realise that this is a, a limited thing Dermot? I think that's probably part of the reason why um, Val has probably been successful and why there's a need for the likes of Enda is the fact that when you can get through to a player if you can communicate that to him in a certain way that he begins to kind of ask that question of himself where he can take on board the fact that this isn't something that's timeless and limitless and is going to be there forever and that's very much how I felt at least for the majority of my career you always think that you know there's more years coming and I always thought that Wexford were going to win in Ireland when I was playing and I climbed the steps in the first Sunday of September and all those things were all just not formalities essentially but I had plenty of time to achieve them all and all of a sudden 28, 29 comes along and you see the difference between players in different setups who you have 28, 29 year olds who are at that stage and they're ready for it and then you've got 19, 20, 21 year olds and they're where you were seven or eight years earlier and you're trying to communicate the message to them hey it's it's not like that and you only know because you went through it as well yeah so do they ever th- listen? <laughs> they hear you I'm not sure if they're listening but they definitely hear you and I think that's that's the, the, the biggest skill that um, anybody can have who comes into a team in the type of role that the likes of Enda would come in at which is to get people to realise that they have they're completely autonomous in this this is for themselves obviously it's part of a team and you know, there's no doubt about that but you have that self-realisation early there's there's the sky's the limit for what you can achieve and then the more players who can come together at that same time that's that team is going to be successful does that realisation that, that you have now does it make it uh, those last number of years then all the more frustrating in retrospect because you haven't been able to climb those steps in September yeah well I've, as I've kind of gotten older and come stepped away from it a little bit in the last um stepping away from 2010 I began to realise a little bit more that like I based I would have based my entire career on the fact that if I didn't win another medal it was a failure and that was very much how I saw it and that may be strange to hear from Wexford point of view for people outside of Wexford but when I joined the panel I, my first game was against Cork in Lawrence semi-final um, with 65,000 people on Sean O'Gahalpine you think these things are all this is what's coming ahead of you we'd beaten Kilkenny in a Leinster, final, Leinster semi-final and those were definitely you know the ideas that you have in your head and now I kind of realise a little bit more that you know what 
if I was to put all of my value in just one day and one medal, that's not saying very much for the coaches who I've worked with over the years, the people who've fed me the belief and they've put the time in and the work. And what an insult to them to say my f- career's been a failure because I haven't won a medal. It's completely not the case. It's just they've given me what i wanted which is to just get the very maximum out of myself and, yeah. and to take that then onto a team stage which is what the game is about so now, yeah just on that point like I remember talking to Johnny Cusick fell in cabin who won two All-Irelands like and I was fascinated and I thought he was going to tell me about the All-Irelands finals he played and I said what's your abiding memory and he basically said it was the lads and the crack and the training and the camaraderie were the, was, was the real success and that really the medal was just the docket for this experience, a receipt to say oh, I had travelled this journey, like, but it was really the the friendships and the things he he had he thing. Now that's not so for everybody saying we didn't win an All Ireland or that, like, you yeah, know, yeah. but there are sports played on so many different levels and it's experience on so many different levels that if you just measure coaches and what they win, you like you can have be a fabulous coach and never win, like you know, and you can be a, a sort of lucky general Napoleon type, like, and you just go in and you had your, your timing is right and everybody thinks you're a guru. But look, at, that's life. Like life's not about being fair. Like life is about handling the unfairness. Yeah. Um, your your perspective on on that end, like, because I know we've we've spoken before about the Armagh team, and there's a any time you talk to the players, there's still this kind of nagging sense of ah, balls. We should have won an all Ar- another All Ireland. Yeah. Now with distance, do you kind of does it does that camaraderie and the the things that you did achieve does that kind of pale the the things that you didn't win? I think we're very lucky. I must say, in general, Armagh, we're lucky if they won seven Ulsters, they won our Ireland International League. So we're lucky we've won all those medals. I would say, of course, we've got the little nag. We have won more All Ireland. That's that's a definite thing. However, the camaraderie amongst that team is there for life. We refer to the phrase "blood brothers." That we actually say we're closer with our teammates than we would be with some of our family. I am very close to my family. You're glad to know, by the way. Just, <laughs> just for your listeners, very close to family. My brother obviously played in the Armagh team, Justin. Uh, so so incredibly tightness and cohesion. I think ultimately we're trying to do in sport on the sports pitches to create skills for life so when you finish playing rugby for Ireland or you finish playing for Ballymone or you finish playing for Wexford Hurling or you finish playing for Leinster that you've got those skills that are going to allow you to be successful in life both on and off the sports pitch that's as a dad that's as a business leader that's hopefully as a political leader and we've had a lot of great political leaders who are very successful in GAA so we're trying to basically as coaches as people who are influencing people on the pitch yes to make them successful in terms of winning medals but maybe more importantly building character building character for life and I think that's the best best thing about the GA. not only are we creating young people who are very talented and skillful uh, and well all-rounded hurlers or footballers but we're building great leaders and I think the GPA has now realised that and they're now selling if you like the profile of our players right across the business community right across the world we have a massive massive asset on our player on our pitches right around the pitches or right around the country but we need to realise that so the gizzy lings this world uh, are starting to be approached by companies and by organisations that not only is a leader of sports people but he potentially is a leader of men. Is it something that we need to start doing with the underage teams rather than actually just waiting until everybody gets to 24, 25 and realises their potential that maybe like there's college game on, on TV here in front of us and you kind of think well I wonder if they're hearing in the dressing room these type of things other than go out there and just win. Like <laughs> I think we need to, I think that's a great point, Joe. I think we need to start to say it and to inspire young kids. This is not just about being a really good hurler or a camogie player. This is about you being very successful in all aspects of your life. So let's create well-rounded people. And I think, unfortunately, coaches aren't open enough to that. It's too much of you have to win the Fela, you know, the under-14 competition, which I'd never heard about until I came to Dublin. So if you think about developing elite athletes, the fundamentals are that at a young age you develop the agility 
generally the balance, the coordination, the speed. And alongside that, you start to develop a character skills like communication, like leadership, and of course, like mental toughness. Did you get all that when you were kids, that, that kind of stuff? <coughs> did you know all this? I was lucky I did, because yeah. the people that I was lucky enough, and again, one of the great professors in Trinity University speaks about a lot of success people have got a head and ladder. And my head and ladder was that my dad uh, started to coach me at this sort of stuff when I was probably five, six, seven years of age. The coach in the school that I went to, Val Kean, who'd been on the great down team in the 60s, coached us in this along with the McEntees and the works again at uh, age 14. You know, and then the people that I met at, count at college again started to expose this sort of thinking again at 1920. So we were blessed that the secret ladder in the hedge, we were able to climb that ladder because we had those people around us. It's, yeah, it's, um, I think it's something that's, it's definitely, it, there's no doubt that this is coming out at the moment for a reason. I think this is part of something that's, there's a noticeable shift anyway in, in as part of the GA towards, back towards the community. And I think that's um, definitely a thing we're going to see developing more and more as part of a kind of a strategic development that, um, to bring conversations back to the community where people not only are gathering the GA club to say, you know, how did the game go or how are you feeling or are you injured? It's like, well, what's going on with you? What can we do to, what's happening as regards um, your career and your life and what contacts can we make and where can we, you know, make changes? And I think that has to start, I think the, the generation now of, I don't know, not to say that it's, it's, it's past them, you know, the 40, 50, 60, the guys who are doing a lot of, an awful lot of the coaching, but I think a huge part of it is, as Enda said, is it starts now with 12, 13, 8, 9, 10, 11 year olds. And I think it's a little bit like optimum health almost. That you can say, somebody can say, you know, they're eating McDonald's once a week and they're <coughs> in Abercrombie another night and they're having pizzas for the rest of the week or whatever. And they can say, you know, but I feel good. And that's grand and you do feel good, but you're at 60% realistically. And if you realised what 100% felt like, you would never, you'd, you know, you'd never go near that kind of food again, and that's what optimum health essentially is. And I think it's the same for training. That if you go and you just focus on, um, you know, things on the field and tactics on your skills and everything else, you say, yeah, well, I'm I'm good enough. Why should I need to do any more? I'm mm. in the gym and everything else. But when you take a more holistic approach, as Enda's talking about, to the person and stop focusing so much on the athlete and also I think it's quite damaging for athletes that they become the athlete themselves and there's not there's an inability to distinguish between the athlete and the person and it's hugely important that they're the person first and the athlete second I kind of wondered though if the GA was slightly better at, than the professional sports at doing that simply by virtue of the fact that you have to have a, a, a non-GA persona because you're not getting paid to be a GA player that actually you know in the past, say soccer is probably a more an easier example to understand, where the the nineteen year old is flogged to the time he's twenty five, and then he plays out his career in the lower divisions, and and that's it. Soccer spits him out and doesn't care about him afterwards. Whereas at least in the GAA, people had to go and get a job and and interact, and so maybe there is a it's it's almost a more natural evolution of that. Is this Jar like really you know? And we see the the influences like from other countries and that, and I know the the English. Oh God, forgive me for mentioning them as an example, but they, they have a five C coaching program. Like, and one of the C's is character. Like, and they're taking this really from the American collegiate system. Like, and the great coaches we probably would know from basketball, like John Wooden. Like, it would be sort of an icon in terms of coaching for character and coaching for attitude. And even in Ballymun now, I'm trying to help the, the juvenile mentors and that. I'm trying to get like really attitude is everything. Like, it's trying to foster the right attitude, not just towards sport, but and respect. 
like and just to, to understand that it's just one small piece of the jigsaw that they have to go on onto like so coaching for character is you know it, it's out there now like I mean how successful we are at it in, in Gaelic terms I don't really know like I mean because you'll still go out and I don't call it the fail I call it the failure um, and the reason being is that like I mean I've seen so many an interesting status Bally Bowden won a hurling failure maybe 12, 13 years ago like and only two of that panel play adult hurling you know so therefore you, you've probably failed in your in your mission of in inculcating a love for sport and people and club if that sort of happens and I'm not surprised it happens because <laughs> in the some of the stuff that goes on is lunacy like you know what I mean but it can be done with a balance but sometimes the balance like because we judge coaches by success like by medals and cups you know, you're, you're great if you win yeah. and you're a complete loser you know and I've been branded plenty of these things like uh, do you know what I mean if you don't win so I mean look at at the end of the day as a coach like it is nice like we'll say one of the things when you meet fellas from your previous teams and they have time for you and they say hello you know and you know what I mean they're not sort of avoiding you and they sort of you treated them well and they learn something off the field not just about and this famous word that's bandied around about holistic approach to coaching like you know what I mean it's really the values of the coach that count like I mean you know what I mean what values drives his coaching philosophy like is it honesty hard work endeavour and accepting life in life terms Okay let me pull you back then to when you are in, in charge of um, the Sigerson team with one of the best collection of footballers that we've seen play Sigerson. Did you did you have that approach at that point, or did you have the I have to win with this team? Well, I'd be brutally frank, yeah. Um, I don't know whether it was refined. I think that, like as you get older, like and Dermot alluded there to forty and fifty year olds, which I take exception to. But uh, um, was the crack that? Yeah, I think as you get older, and you start to see like where everything sort of maybe fits into it. Like you're certainly as a younger man at, in your thirties, and you see Jimmy McGuinness, like you know, what I mean, driven, completely driven, like you know, and and sometimes I'm not saying he doesn't have a holistic approach, but yeah, I, I'm not so sure this is important. Are you maybe recognise that? But we always had a policy of trying to help people off the pitch, like and how are you getting on. And like make it easy to come to training but you know great people coming in and how's the exams going and can we help you and you need a grind and even with the Dublin miners we would have ran grind schools like so coming up recognising the pressure they're under we would put grinds at their disposal like and I'd like to see every county you know helping them and there should be scholarships and we should be reserving places and helping fellas in their educational attainment like because I've seen and I'm not going to mention his name on air like I mean there's one exceptionally nationally known figure and like I mean to be quite honest because of his devotion to the cause and to training and that he didn't attain the honours degrees and that and all the rest of that he should have attained and now he's married and all that with a few kids and like he's probably stuck in a job that perhaps is not suited towards his thing like and he might regret him saying why didn't I like why didn't I do this like I mean at the end of the day we play for 12 or 15 years or whatever it is but like you're going to be married with kids and bring up family for 40, 50, 60 years it's not I don't think it's a case of one or the other that's the biggest thing is to yeah. find that middle road and that balance and we it's perfectly okay to want to win there's no problem with wanting to win I think it's it's, it's more of a case of trying to create 
the scenario where the players just want to find that whatever they, that competitive spirit is it's not to say we don't want competition it's like a, a commune where everybody gets to gets together and plays yeah. for fun like it's there's definitely it's about nurturing the competitive spirit of the person but it's just not done where the competitive nature or the egotistical the, the ego driven coach needs to have a win under his belt to justify maybe his own career or his own whatever his kind of life circumstances are and I think that's and just by the very nature of the GA, the fact that it's so grassroots and you're going to get all walks in it. But you would see, I would see, I have to say, um, I would have observed over time in as a player and, and going around to coaching, um, I guess, teams and that. You see the player that sometimes coaches are a little bit lost in that and the fact that they're trying to drive down a certain message because that's what they believe and they're much slower to ask the question of what the kids actually you know trying to find out what the kids actually want like even though kids are 11, 12, 13 they still have plenty of wisdom in them to, if you if you just ask the questions and are actually willing to listen but the fact that you're kind of driven yourself drives an unwillingness to listen to anybody else because you have your own you have your own voice driving you yeah Sorry. Yeah, I suppose to add to that, I would say that you know, ultimately, in all sports across Ireland and across the world, ultimately, coaches are trying to achieve four things: they're trying to make sure they're developing every single athlete or every single player in their team; they're trying to make sure that everybody's having fun and enjoying what they're doing; they're trying to make sure ultimately you're winning. If you're working at senior level, of course, you're trying to win. And the last thing is you're trying to build character or build skills that apply off the sports pitch. So I think for all the coaches, if we keep those four, if you like, uh, points to the compass and keep them in mind in terms of north, south, east, and west, then we're always even the week before an Ireland championship you're thinking about okay I know we're playing the Ireland we want to win it but there's somebody whose mother's very sick we need to take that into account and give them the week off or whatever it is somebody who's working professional sport it's very important that winning is not the only thing because if winning is the only thing as Val alluded to then you're left with people who become unfortunately at the end of their career a little bit emotionally burnt out when they leave the sports pitch and they feel that you know there's nothing left after the ball is over I referred mm. that uh, previously in News Talk so I think again I'm delighted to hear this sort of conversation happening in News Talk which is very uh, you know it's, it's pretty advanced in the way we're thinking about our sport in Ireland at the moment I'd be very enthused by that yeah, well, we kind of have to do it, though. I think there's a like it's incumbent on anybody who covers sport to talk about all aspects of it, um, and it's also the most interesting stuff. I think where you actually end up like we could do an analysis of just the tactics, but then you don't get to understand what drives it or, or who these people really are or anything about it. Tomas uh, Cooley has texted in to say, "My club, Abbey Knockmoy and Galway, won the failure last week. We will not regard <laughs> them as failures in the future." Uh, you didn't actually mean this. No, current. no, I just mean <laughs> it wasn't a specific just, example. Yeah, yeah. It's like we used to call the Tommy Murphy Cup. You remember the famous Tommy Murphy Cup, the Tommy Cooper Cup. So, <laughs> like in some respect, no, I don't mean. I mean, you know, in failure, failure to develop people. You know, overemphasis on winning and a sort of madness. But I'm, I'm, I'm not saying everybody's like that either. Like I mean, but there has been huge instances of. And like where they would overtrain them, and they would set the bar of expectation that the kids nearly think they've arrived, they've won their isn't the other fourteen. Isn't like there a warm weather training going on for Fayette? And I hear that rumor that some of the teams are taking the kids. But well, you're looking at me now. <laughs> <laughs> like you're probably going to say, and in fairness, like Paddy Christie, and we had this argument. I had this argument with Paddy, and it's Paddy brought his team to Portugal. Like, and honestly, Paddy, in the name of God, like you know, from my, and yet I look thing, and it's that sort of yeah. The knock-on effect was the hard turn effect. Like, I see them kids and I saw them to a man 
over the last two days at removal and I saw him to a man at a funeral so he's not just teaching them about warm weather training Sorry, or it's so the bonding of it's, it's a bonding and, and he makes them feel special and if you make people feel special they perform especially and they're an absolute fabulous team and they're a huge credit to them and they're actually the next real huge wave coming through the club like and that goes down to but then again would you expect anything else from Paddy? No. Why? He's a national school teacher as well. Like so, he understands that it's not just the football. Like he looks after them off the pitch as well and treats them like human beings. And you know what I mean. And does his best for them. Uh, ask Izzy. Will we see him in a purple gold jersey this summer? He was seriously missed during the league. Says Martin. Um. Yeah. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be an interesting summer for sure. Um. To be around to be around Wexford and to be around Ireland at all um, when there's so much coverage taking place and obviously you see league games and going to the games um, yourself it's heartbreaking to, to sit and to sit and watch and as the ground begins to firm up now a little bit and um, and the sun is starting to come out slowly I think that's a yes Jay. it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of come on <laughs> <laughs> and when you go no back training yeah. <laughs> so I'm going back training on Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah look at hopefully um, I'll see how my how my body is uh, it deals with it but it's at the moment um, of course look at Wexford is there and I'm 31 not 41 and looking forward to still playing another few years so. yeah Tony Brown was the, the kind of it's supposed to be the spur for this entire conversation but we kind of only introduced it at the very end um, the, the notion during the week that he's coming back at that age like it, it really makes you think about the amount of careers that stop at 31, 32 and, and how far careers can go and uh, whether or not that's the right thing or, or whether well, Tony, Tony Brown like I mean to be, as far as I know Pat Flanagan they're trying to have he had them on the his own personal progress since about January or that and like I mean look I suppose no secret Tony Brown has always looked after himself and that like and that was the real secret he had the right foods his lifestyle was good like I mean I don't think we should be putting a number on when you stop I mean some people are genetically well set up Tony Brown is probably flying at the moment like and, and the bottom line is that he in fairness I admire him I admire him from the point of view he's going to go in and try to compete for a place you know, rather than saying here I'm retiring, you know where fear says, "Well, I mightn't make it, and I mightn't give in, I might just give up." Mm. You know, I'd agree with that. I'd say that we need to start to think about how good the player is, not looking at his age. You know, so uh, the old the old maxim was in the play here that age is a wave's tail. It's much more about you know how fast are you over the ten meters, what's your aerobic capacity like, how many passes can you hit over fifty meters, how many scores can you make, and if you look at again the the prime examples of that, uh, Ryan Giggs obviously number one, Beckham the last few weeks and it wasn't too brilliant, but at least he was playing at that level. And the other one that probably the best example of all in Irish sport would have been Brad Thorne playing at Leinster at thirty seven years of age. World Cup winning player of course for the All Blacks and I think now in Leinster he's still going he's still going and he's an incredible if you like role model in what you can achieve if you take care of your body and all aspects of your life so I, I think the Brad Thorne effect is going to have a much greater effect right throughout the country in all aspects of sport well, Brad Thorne is, is Brad, and I'm not that much but I'm fascinated I haven't had to read much about him but he seems to like I mean not just look after his body he like he puts a huge emphasis on looking after his mental he was and a, spiritual sort he of was health. a tearaway in his mm-hmm. early 20s and found God yeah. and uh, so he's a very religious man now and it brings it up in conversation unprompted more than happy to talk about um, what kind of a, a life he was leaving li- leaving living even and leading and uh, how that was the influence behind him to settle down and kind of you know give up his his wicked ways and then and I believe he's, he's Parkinson's an idol is he? 
<laughs> it doesn't. I don't think it matters too much. I think like you can have people who are well enlightened at, at twenty, as as other people who are True. you know completely yeah. lost at fifty. And I think um, for in 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 the experience that I would have with um, with Wexford and hurling in Wexford, I would see somebody like George O'Connor who was ready at thirty seven to win in All Ireland. And I don't think he was probably ever ready before that to win one. He was at 27 and 28, maybe it might have impacted his life completely differently. By 37, he was in a place where he was ready to kneel down and, you know, and, and crow park afterwards and, yeah. and thank God for the, for the gift of, of, of what he's achieved. And um, I think that it, it's much more about, and you know, whatever age it is, and as Enda said, um, it's it's not necessarily to do with age, more or less how you're performing. And to add to those, the, the statistics that they have, there's also the experience of what he has and the experience he can bring to the dressing room and the experience of, of playing countless games over the last 25, 26 years that, you know, guys half his age aren't going to have, you know, near the same well to draw on. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in one second. The news coming from Augusta is that Tiger Woods has been given a two-shot penalty that the rules have been changed in 2011 to cover transgressions exposed by high-definition television, even though this one wasn't uh, exactly. So he's not getting disqualified. He's getting a two-shot penalty. He will tee off. Uh, they'll obviously have to redo the draw now because he's five strokes back unless they send him off at the same time as scheduled. So Tiger will take part in the Masters, he's just going to be uh, five strokes off the lead, uh, so he lives to play another day because he's the most famous player in the world of golf. <laughs> uh, I've got to take one quick ad break, we'll be right back after these. News Talk Sport, Saturday, in association with UPC, the fibre power network with 50 meg broadband as standard. All right, you're very welcome back. We have uh, Dermot Ling, Val Andrews and Enda McNulty on our panel this afternoon. 53106 is the uh, text number here. If you just joined us as well, Tiger Woods will be teeing it up in the third round of the Masters. He's been given a two-shot penalty for uh, taking the drop from the wrong place and signing for an incorrect scorecard. Uh, Galway boys text in say, my club, a senior football club from Galway, took a talented under-16 side to Disneyland, Florida five years ago. A disappointing number have paid the club back with their commitment ever since. Um, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Going to Disneyland. Uh, they didn't just win the Super Bowl, I presume, uh, unless we, we didn't hear about that story. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about Tony Brown was, though, that it doesn't seem as if he's only coming back to like start in the half-back line. That it seems like he's happy to be a squad member at this stage of his career, if you know if that's what's required from him. And I, I wanted to get all of your take on this because there isn't really a culture in the GAA of players being happy to sit on the bench at the end of their career for the last couple of years. I suppose I can answer that one very well. I start off, Joe. Because uh, I actually sat on the bench, would you believe, for three years without playing one minute competitively. So I sat and I sat and I sat and I waited and I waited until I was going to get the opportunity. Never got the opportunity. But in a weird way, I was actually really, really happy to, co- to keep being competitive in training, to keep battling, to keep driving, to keep trying to make sure you're on that first 15 on Championship Day. And I think very often we do discard the older players in our teams far too quickly because it's only when they're getting to 34, 35 that they probably know how to become a how to become a cultured architect how to become a real leader of men and I think in some cases even if the player isn't starting and even if he only plays five minutes at the end of each game they can offer a massive amount to the overall culture to the way the mindset and the approach and the professionals of the young players is yeah. so I think Tony can offer that even if he only plays those five minutes Is it that managers are suspicious of those older players that they think they're trying to undermine them or that they don't trust the fact that maybe they're not going to be on message the whole time? I think sometimes and this is something we need to look at in sport in general right across the board not just in the GA but I think in some cases 
cases they're intimidated by people who are very strong leaders someone who's going to challenge someone who's going to say well that's not good enough you know a Paul O'Connell figure who's going to say well you know what our last five uh, sessions haven't been good enough tactically or the technical detail hasn't been good enough and coaches who aren't very strong and very confident of course are intimidated by that and yet that's exactly the, t- the best environment for everybody to work in where you go alright well then What's your idea? Let's see if that works a bit better. Well, yeah, the counter argument. Now, you know what I mean? And I'm not sort of, I, I concur with all the sentiments expressed, but you, what you tend to get because we're Irish, like, is that we get entrenched, sort of, an, an inability to change as we get older. And, like, lots of times the older people in the dressing rooms think that there's only one way. So if they've won one way, that's the only way. Like, I mean, it's like you can only bake a cake one way. And that's not the way life is. Like, our sport is, you know, to to achieve them things. And sometimes there's a huge resistance to new methods. So especially, we'll say, swapping training regimes, like going from, we'll say, a a run-and-dominated aerobic one Right to a more modern sort of functional, functional screen and functional test speed and agility, you know, and all the rest of them. They say, look, we we won in all Ireland running up and down hills, and yeah. that's what we want to do. Like, and this is a load of, and we're not getting sick at training, and this is nonsense. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying, you know, but that's up, that's the challenge of managers. Like, and you know what I mean? Sometimes they are the older players are always the ones you have to get the top dogs in any pack on the side like they're the ones that all managers when they go into the dressing room they should spot whether they're the young ones or the old ones but mainly they tend to be the old ones who are dominating the dressing rooms they have to be converted to the new regime or the new culture and sometimes as you can see in my previous past I haven't actually managed to do this <laughs> but uh, you know that's life like you know and then it comes like you, there's a thing called weed in the garden like ultimately like you know if you have yeah, weeds in the garden you have to get rid of it I suppose I jump in there and I'm not going to get involved with a Ballymun brawl but I would say the, uh, <laughs> I would say that of course the coach needs to think about yeah Yes, this guy's going to challenge me, but ultimately, is he set in his ways, or has he got, still got a very innovative and very creative approach to what we can do this year in the championship or in the, let's say, in the rugby cup or whatever it is? You know, so I think the coach needs to be the decider of that. Is he intimidated by this guy and what he can bring to the table, or is the player now far too set in his ways? So it's making a decision. That's what the great coach. I, 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 to be quite honest, yeah. I mean, like you can be intimidated and you can be insecure in your own ability. Like, and you, like, I mean, we say if you're a rookie manager and you're going in with fellas with two or three All Irelands, like and you haven't managed an All-Ireland it's certainly you know what I mean it's daunting I'd imagine like I mean you only have to look at Sean Boylan when he went into the mid dressing room in the 80s you know what I mean and, and it was referred I don't know there's a story told that you know, he went into the dressing room and a few who shall remain nameless says who's he like you know what I mean like who's the hurler like coming yeah. in here like you know what I mean but like Sean Boylan is adaptable, flexible, emotionally intelligent. Cop on says, "Okay, this, these are the fella, these are the leaders. This is the thing, right? We'll empower them. We bring them forward. You know, he probably was ahead of his time in terms. Like, Ender would see it lots of time empowering teams, especially at elite level, where lots of the decisions are actually player driven and how we, like you said." the sessions aren't good enough you know what I mean so that's not a problem saying the sessions aren't good enough it's suggestions for improvement and constant improvement that you always want you know yeah I think it's I think it's definitely um, as Enda said it's the ability of the manager and the, the manager takes up the role they have a responsibility to be I guess you know to be, to be the best that they can be themselves obviously and, and within the within the, the framework of, of what's happening in the team and the ability to know um, and to be able to observe and to, you know to be able to stand back as a manager or not to take those insecurities into the dressing room and to actually be able to say well okay well this player is as he is now and he's because he is that way because of a certain set of um, it, the way his career has developed maybe he hasn't won anything maybe he has won 
too much too early or um, but you know a manager has to be able to gauge that and then make a call like I would have thought a few years ago when Sean Ogahalbeen was dropped at I think maybe 33 or 34 I thought that he still had he was one of those players like Tony Brown who had actually trained at 22 for 35 and 6 he was always looking after himself he minded himself to the absolute max yeah and so, last year he proved that he was dropped too early yeah so mm. he was, So in that case I think it was it probably was a case of maybe just being a little bit intimidated by what had gone on in probably Sean O's career if you had a lot of medals you had strikes you had a lot of stuff that was gone on and maybe it was just a little bit too strong of a character and there are judgement calls made and look at sometimes they get them right and sometimes they get them wrong no different than it is for a player Is there generally an urge on players part though to retire a little bit early sometimes too that they don't in some way taint the legacy or, or end up kind of going oh I'm a sub in this team now when you know I used to be one of the star players yeah, it's it's um, it's hard to know what, where that line is from the point of view that you definitely, um, like you hear the point kind of bandied about quite often as in after six or seven years you get these kind of lifers of players who give everything they have and they always have done and people would tend to say to them at 31 or 32, um, maybe a little bit older, you know, maybe it's time to pack in the boots, you don't owe... Um, Wexford, anything you don't do Dublin, you don't do Armagh, anything. It's it's you know your your time has come or whatever, and you can be a little bit maybe quick to to stop and say, well, hang on there now. I've been given an awful lot by this too, and a lot of people have put in an awful lot of great work into it. And yes, you've responded in kind with your own work too, but there is. Um, you can't ignore the fact that there are guys coming in at 21, 20 sure, yeah. or your teammates who are absolutely lost in the headlights who would massively benefit from your being there. I think the fact that it's gone to 24-7, 11 months of the year is now forcing guys at 31 and 2 to say, well, you know, does is the is the counterbalance of helping out all these young guys and helping a team to get to reach their full potential worth me putting, you know, every single second of, of my life for another year and I think yeah. that's where we're yeah. gone maybe a little bit excessive you know the, the, the demands like you, you look at sort of people managers making we say fellas travel 40 miles a round trip of 80 miles for a recovery session you know there's lots of things go on or even you know what I mean centralising weights like where you know we you know the management we don't trust them to do it on their own or we don't trust you know what I mean or we don't put the structures in place to have it supervised very close to them like I mean if you take an, an amateur athlete club athlete with, who runs you know what I mean Dublin City Harriers or something like that they'll, they'll run six days a week you know so basically they're trained six days a week from their early teens no problem into their 30s and they don't find it as owners are as hard yet we should be really looking at, we tend to make it a little bit too hard. Like, I, I can understand why fellas say, I told you here, look, I've enough. And the sort of expectations now seems to be at uh, county level, oh, you know what I mean, look, uh, I have a young family and I can't really do this, like, because there are demands, like, you know, and we forget, like, it, they're amateur. They don't get to lie in bed, like, and take uh, take it hand. They have to go, no matter what type of job they have, they have to get up. There's stress involved. And like, so we, should, we couldn't down the travel and make it an awful lot easier to attain the same goals. You know what I mean? And not yeah. thinking a different way of doing it. And I think that, that's a really good question that you asked earlier on. Just to add on to that point, Val, and the point that Jeremy made was about our players sometimes very keen to retire a little bit early in case they taint the legacy mm. that they've had. And if you look at people like Muhammad Ali and what he did, obviously people say he said he tainted his incredible, uh, obviously, feet right throughout his career. If you look at Roy Keane, people say maybe he said he tainted it towards the end in terms of getting maybe a little bit negative in the Man United change room. Sonia Sullivan, look at her and what, what happened to her 
her career even looking at the ball he is down a monster and so on uh, and I would have to say that the only ones that can really decide if that was tainting the legacy or that actually was really good for them in their overall development would be the athletes themselves so a lot of my friends at home still said to me well Andy you were stupid to stay on for the three years ever made a bit of a fool on you on the sideline and the bench and so on but actually for me those three years were brilliant because they made me humble number one number two they made me realise and understand what it's like to be on the bench so in working with athletes now and, and players in all different performance domains we understand what it's like to try and get onto the team if you're never on the team and so on so I think the only ones that can really answer that chair would be the athlete or the player themselves they're the only one that really need to look into their own soul to realise should I leave now or should I maybe enjoy that five minute cameo towards the end of an Ireland final or whatever it is yeah but uh, come back to Enda just really briefly is that like Enda is not typical I mean, in the sacrifice to sit on the bench for three years, like for the greater cause and be a team player like that, is not the common attitude at the elite level in Ireland at the moment. And secondly, his really interesting point is that managers, and I've not just even up there recently, I've made the mistake of we don't talk to the subs often enough and long enough. You know what I mean? We started, and the reason being, lots of it is fear, and lots of it's saying, saying, you know what I mean? Because we don't like dropping people, we find it difficult then. You know what I mean? I've disappointed this person to actually engage on a, on, a, on a personal level. Lads, I'm totally out of time. I just want to read this one text before we go. Kathy says, You're obsessed with our help being Jerry. He's a great player, but he's retired now, so give it a rest. I didn't even bring him up. No, I think that might have been my fault. Remember that, Cathy? <laughs> I let it go from now on, I promise. David Lake Val Adrian, Andy McNulty on our panel this afternoon. Thanks very much. News Talk Sport Saturday in association with UPC the fibre power network that delivers Ireland's fastest broadband